Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Those of you who follow me on Twitter may have seen last week that I got into a bit of a back and forth with one of my followers after I complained that the Minnesota Timberwolves' odds of winning the title went from 100 to 1 to 200 to 1 after essentially replacing D'Angelo Russell with Mike Conley as their starting point guard. The follower chastised me, suggesting that the change in odds wasn't really that significant and that their odds had to decrease because the Phoenix Suns' odds had risen thanks to the acquisition of Kevin Durant. He suggested that I didn't understand how odds were set and I asked him to explain why precisely the odds for the Timberwolves would change as they did not that they changed but why they changed as much as they did he suggested correctly that I was asking a basketball question correct and that I as a supposed basketball expert should know the answer but He would go ahead and indulge me by sharing his knowledge about the game. And it was that the impact of KD going to the Suns was greater than Conley going to the Timberwolves. Because, don't you know, Kevin Durant is a better player than Mike Conley. I figured that was going to be his answer. And it's why I asked, in part. Well, actually, I asked because I was really seriously wanted to know, is there a way that you take the subjective view of how a team might perform with a change in players and come up with a precise change in the odds? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's an equation for that. He didn't know it and didn't share, or at least didn't share it. But when it comes to the basketball side, I figured that his thinking was, well, Kevin Durant's a better player than Conley, so of course the odds for the Suns should improve more than the odds for the Timberwolves. This is simplistic thinking. 
that was my whole point. Look, math has never been my strong suit, but I've studied how betting odds and lines are set since gambling has become an accepted part of the sports landscape. I, I get it. I get that it's not just a matter of talent and ability and all of those things. The knowledge about a team and how it can perform is part of the equation. But gambling, as much as anything, is a business. And the business is to get your money. That's what it is. Uh, we think of it as a form of entertainment. And we think of it as a uh, measure of who's going to win or not. And there is a certain element to that. Odds makers do do their homework. They do follow teams. But it's not the entire, it's not the objective to get that part right. The goal first and foremost of the odds makers is to attract as much action as they can. AKA dollars bet with their service or book. And do so while not exposing themselves to losses. I have no doubt the follower who took issue with my protest knows more about gambling than I do. And I did have one brain cramp thinking the Lakers odds moving from 20 to 1 to 25 to 1 was less of a shift in their odds to win than the Timberwolves going from 100 to 1 to 200 to 1. Basically, I was thinking, okay, the Timberwolves' odds have uh, been cut in half, and it wasn't that uh, extensive. It's a quarter for the Lakers. But what I was not accounting uh, to, or taking Ken into account is that, yes, Minnesota's chance of winning it all was cut in half, but it was a 1% chance cut to 0.5%. The Lakers had been given a starting percentage of 5%. 5% chance prior to the trade deadline to win the title and now have a 4% chance. So overall, the Lakers' chances did decline more steeply than the Timberwolves as a result of what happened at the trade deadline. So I messed up the relative shift in odds between the Lakers and Timberwolves. Lesson learned, apology given. But that really wasn't my main point. My main point is that the Suns' chance of winning it all didn't improve more with getting KD than the Timberwolves did by getting Conley. Now, if you want to say that the Suns were already had a better chance of winning it than the Timberwolves, that's fine. But to suggest that those chances improved far more than the Timberwolves' chances did by getting Conley, I believe is wrong. I believe Conley has the ability to make the Timberwolves better more than KD can dramatically change the fortunes of the Suns. That's not saying that Conley is a better player. It's saying he's a better fit and a better solution to the issues that have resulted in Minnesota underachieving this season. Let me break it down. What has been the Suns' strength this season? It has been their defense. They are currently ranked ninth at that end of the floor, thanks in large part to the play of Mikhail Bridges, who at one point this season was in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation and came Cam Johnson, their other young, capable wing. 
But those two have been valuable, not just because they're good defenders, but also because they are very effective offensive players. They are threats. They are shooting, if not scoring, threats. Bridges is a plus five, and Johnson is a whopping plus 13 as far as the difference between points scored when they're on the floor versus the points that the Suns had allowed. The reason the Suns' offense has been in the bottom half of the league hasn't been their fault, Cams and Bridges. It's been because of the absence of Devin Booker and the decline of Chris Paul. Cam has also missed significant time. That should be acknowledged. But the one player who hasn't, Mikhail Bridges. He's an absolute Iron Man. Not only does he play hard every minute and at both ends of the floor, he hasn't missed a game in the last two seasons. Those two players are now with the Brooklyn Nets. Part of the price of acquiring KD. I listened to one of the Nets' first radio broadcasts after they acquired the two of them, and it was clear that the broadcasters were not familiar with just how impactful Bridges can be. I wonder how many people across the country realize how absolutely good, great, I would put, I'd put the term great on Bridges, how great Bridges can be, how what he does is so connected to winning. The broadcasters were impressed with all the ways in, in which Bridges can impact a game that doesn't show up in a box score. Box outs that allowed another teammate to grab an offensive rebound and score. Tip outs of missed shots that allowed the Nets a second chance opportunity. Stifling defense that resulted in shot clock violations by their opponent. And big shots, momentum turning shots and buckets at just the right time. What can KD do for the Suns? Well, we don't know yet because he's injured. When will we find out? We don't know because there's no set date for his return. But let's say he has the same impact on the Suns that he had on the Nets whenever he gets back. That was quite an impact. KD was a plus 10 when he was on the floor this year. His offensive rating of 123 tying his career high. The man has been on one. There's no denying that. He has been particularly lethal from the mid-range. A mid-range that was wide open, thanks to playing with Nick Claxton rolling to the rim, the only place he's an offensive threat. And an array of three-point shooters like Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Markeith Morris, Yuta Watanabe, Royce O'Neal, and Cam Thomas, all of whom are shooting 40% or better from beyond the arc. Now, no doubt, some of that is the, as they like to say, the gravity of KD and Kyrie Irving in that teams are going to load up on them to try to stop them as they get to the mid-range or they attack the basket. But still, that's quite a list of guys shooting 40% or better. Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Markeith Morris, Utah Watanabe, Royce O'Neal, and Cam Thomas. That's one, two, three, four, five, six guys. 40% or better. You know how many shooters the Suns have like that? Two. Now, Damian Lee and Torrey Craig. I'll even give you Saban Lee, although he's only played in 16 games. Here's the other problem. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton all like to operate in that mid-range as well. 
it's not going to be strictly KD's territory in Phoenix. Yes, he shared it with Kyrie in Brooklyn, and the two were very effective together. No, no doubt about that. But that's two guys operating in that space, not four. It naturally means that KD isn't going to have the same opportunities that he had earlier this season. You could stagger KD and Kyrie in stretches so that that was their domain exclusively. That's not probably never going to happen at any point with KD and Phoenix. There are simply more offensive mouths to feed in Phoenix. And while that can be a good problem to have, it's still something that has to be worked out. Aiden is not Claxton. He expects to get touches and shots, and you're not likely to get the same defensive production from him when he isn't, unlike Claxton. I'd be less worried about Phoenix figuring it out if, one, they had more than 20-some games, and Chris Paul were the Chris Paul of two years ago. But he clearly is not. Throw in that Aiton and head coach Monty Williams have really never resolved their differences going back to last year, and I'm just not sure right now how well Phoenix is going to harness all that firepower. And for anyone thinking I'm being far too negative, well, let's look at what the Nets accomplished when they were top-heavy with offensive stars who struggled to stay healthy. How good were they with Kyrie Harden and KD? I don't think it's wise to say, well, when healthy, they were fantastic. Yeah, they were. KD and Kyrie certainly were this season. But how long were they healthy? When was the last time we saw the two of them not have their goals and aspirations cut short by injury. At some point, when players consistently miss significant time, that has to be factored into the equation. How the pieces actually fit together has to be considered. And we're talking about Chris Paul, KD, and Devin Booker. All, regardless of age, have been injury prone. And I don't look, I don't fault fans, especially fans of the team that has just acquired a big name, from leaping to the conclusion that their team just landed the key to a championship parade because we've got former players on the league's biggest platforms promoting the same pie in the sky perspective. Fans are not alone in thinking this. Jamal Crawford, who is one of the nicest, most accommodating players I've ever met is now on TNT's B team. And as B teams go, that's about as high profile as you can get in the basketball world. Jamal Jamal started out by saying, if all three can stay healthy, they are the favorite to win the championship. Not win the West, but win the title. That puts them as a favorite over the Milwaukee Bucks a favorite over the Boston Celtics. And why? Because KD and Booker and CP3 know what it takes. These are Jamal's words, not mine. His exact words. They know what it takes. Except Booker and CP3 don't know what it takes. They've come close They haven't won a title. And yes, that last step is important. Getting to the finals doesn't mean a player or team 
knows what it takes to win it all. Jamal's second reason was that all three are hoop heads, and so their love for the game is going to allow them to figure it out over the next two dozen games before the playoffs start. Now, when you are getting that kind of analysis from a former player on one of the biggest platforms the NBA has, how can I fault fans for buying into ideas that just are rather thin in terms of what it really takes to win a championship? And I guess I can't fault Jamal because he's never won a championship. He's never been on a team that went to the finals. And fair, neither have I. <laughs> Without question, you want to say that Jamal has been closer to it than I have by playing in the league? That's where you go wrong. Because while Jamal was playing in the league and playing for teams that weren't going to the finals, I was covering them. I was with them on a daily basis. I was talking to their coaches and their players. I was observing everything they did, both on the court and off the court, before the game and after the game. So my sense and understanding of what a championship team looks like and feels like and acts like and the way it thinks, I don't think I'm being braggadocio by saying that I have a better sense of that, a better idea of that than Jamal Crawford does. So that's my response to all of you out there who are like, we should only have people who played the game talk about it. I uh, respectfully disagree. I don't think having played the game or played in the league, necessarily makes you an expert on some of the things that we discuss. And what I do when I feel like I don't know is I go to someone who does. So I don't know if Jamal has talked to guys who've won championships, who coaches who have won championships. I, I would gather to think that he hasn't based on what he said about the Suns' chances. Now Shaq was also on the broadcast and is always acutely in tune with what's going on with the team's big man. And he said, the Suns have to make sure they're keeping Aiton involved in order to get him to do the essential dirty work because otherwise he is ineffective. So he wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid quite to the level that Jamal was. Shaq acknowledged the Suns now have three guys who like to shoot more than they like to pass. I don't know if I would put CP3 in the same category as Booker and KD when it comes to that, but certainly CP3 will hunt his shot with the game on the line and it will be interesting to see how he operates with both KD and Devin there, whether he takes a step back and or maybe two steps back. I don't know. Again, something to be worked out. Shaq also said that in order to keep Aiton engaged... They need to give him two or three touches a quarter and that that should do the trick. And he said, then he said, if that happens, they have a great chance. And I assume he meant a great chance to win it all, although he didn't finish his sentence. And I just can't help but feel this is Shaq looking at the situation through his own experience. Because that's what was necessary to get Shaq to do all the dirty work. The difference and the big difference is that when Shaq gave you everything he was capable of, he was a monster. He could take over the game at both ends. He could dominate. Aiton is good, sometimes very good, 
at both ends. But he has never been on Shaq's level. An inspired Shaq was a one-man wrecking crew that required double teams to stop if he was doing the early work to establish deep position on the block. Just depend on where his energy was and his motivation. But once that happened, he was a good enough and willing enough passer that it meant open looks for everybody else. That's not Aiton. I'd feel a lot better about the Suns' chances if he had Mikhail Bridges' attitude that I'll take my opportunities when they come offensively, but in the meantime, I'm going to dedicate myself to doing all the little things. That is not how DeAndre Ayton approaches the game. And I suppose that's the heart of my disagreement, that the Suns are now the best team in the West, the team to beat. Because it takes selfless and effective role players to win championships. Mikhail is the poster child for that role in the league right now. I saw a number of responses to the deal that essentially were, wow, the Suns got KD without giving up Aiton. And I'm thinking, I'd rather have Bridges. Losing Bridges along with Cam Johnson is a far greater loss than keeping Aiton. Because, and this may be the most important aspect of all this, I can't count on Aiton. I can't count on a consistent effort consistent production all this talk of what has to be done to get his best championship teams aren't built on accommodating players the Warriors didn't win two championships with KD just because they had more talent it's because they had all that talent and they accommodated each other KD raised his defensive game serving as their best shot blocker and rebounder along with his scoring he accepted catching the ball in the mid to post and attacking from there. Steph became more of a facilitator to allow KD a bigger piece of the offensive pie. There wasn't any talk of taking special measures to get someone's best. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Last year's Warriors were the same. The Milwaukee Bucks were the same. Teams that have to navigate personal agendas or make allowances for players to get them to play don't win titles, period. So how do we know that KD and Booker and Chris Paul can put their egos aside, much less Aiton? Now, I'm fully aware that Mike Conley is not young and has had to deal with injuries as well. But what Conley brings to the table should not only complement what the Timberwolves have, it potentially could unlock some talent that has been underachieving. Namely, center Rudy Gobert, the high-priced off-season acquisition that was supposed to lock in Minnesota as a perennial playoff team. Now, before I get too far down the road on this, I do want to say I'm not in love with what the Timberwolves have built. 
there's some things that still have to be sorted out. I don't know how well all the talent fits together. I'm not sold necessarily on Chris Finch being that guy for this particular roster. But the standings, as I record this, have the Phoenix Suns in fourth place at 32 and 27, and the Minnesota Timberwolves in eighth place at 31 and 29. That's a game and a half difference. Carl Anthony Towns at some point is expected to be back. Same with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. But as of right now, going into the All-Star break and coming out of it, the Minnesota Timberwolves are more whole than the Phoenix Suns. So I just don't see a great separation in them and their starting place. And I look at the potential of what the Timberwolves could be if they can figure out this Rudy Gobert thing. Or even if they have to swallow hard and sideline him more than not, at least till the postseason, then they have the ability to do that. I don't know if they have the willingness. I don't know if Chris Finch can coach a team to that. But their potential is tremendous. And Mike Conley helps that. What Conley brings that D'Angelo Russell did not is decision-making and a steady hand and a willingness to take a backseat to the Timberwolves' other tremendous scorers. He's going to put the light, the, the spotlight, on Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns when he gets back and Rudy Gobert. For all of D'Lo's individual stats this season, 18 points a game, 6 assists, he was essentially a non-factor when it came to deciding games. And no one's more impressed with his shot making, particularly from three. He puts it up. It's a nice shot. It's Even when he misses, very soft touch. And generally, he's hitting all net. And he's sneaky. He's sneaky about getting to his shot in the mid-range, getting to the rim. There's a lot of cleverness to D'Lo's game. But that doesn't necessarily make him a smart point guard. The Timberwolves scored exactly, for all those highlights that we get of D'Lo and ice in the veins and all that, the Timberwolves this year scored exactly as many points as they allowed when he was on the floor. Because Conley may be old, but he gives you a much better effort consistently, defensively, than D'Lo ever has. Even though D'Lo is longer, taller, should be a better defender. Is not. And Conley with the Jazz, while he may have averaged, and well, he did, averaged 10-some points, uh, eight fewer than D'Lo did with Minnesota, Conley's assists were considerably higher, and his assist-turnover ratio was much better. And the Jazz were, perhaps most important of all, were a plus-four when Mike Conley was on the floor. Now, the Jazz have been a nice surprise this year, but... Are they supposed to be better than the Minnesota Timberwolves, talent-wise? <laughs> no chance. And were not before the trade deadline, even before they started moving pieces. Look at how the Jazz played with and without Mike Conley when he missed games this year. Significant, significant difference. My hope is that he can get Gobert going because they were obviously teammates in Utah where Gobert was more effective than he has been with the Timberwolves. When he and Conley were on the floor together last year, they were a plus 10. 
Conley also knows how to play alongside a dynamic two-guard like Anthony Edwards, having spent four years with Donovan Mitchell. So, as I look at the deal the Timberwolves made, moving a player in D'Lo, who I believe as the point guard, hamstrung their ability to get the most out of the pieces around him, for a player who has the ability to unlock all that potential, yeah, I believe that the Timberwolves' chance of winning the title this year has improved. Do I expect them to contend? No, of course not. They're still too young. But do I think the Suns, by adding KD, have vaulted the Denver Nuggets or the Los Angeles Clippers or even the Memphis Grizzlies? No, I do not. Because unlike Minnesota, their move wasn't adding a positive plus addition by subtraction in getting rid of D'Lo. The price to get KD was steep. Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Jay Crowder, who may not have been playing this season, but was a vital piece on both their finals team two years ago and last year's 64-win team. And I know that at least some of you are thinking, wow, the Suns essentially had a team that went to the finals two years ago and they added KD to it. Well, no, they didn't. Not the same team. Not even the same team as the one that won 64 games last year. And as I understand it, Crowder wasn't mad that Monty Williams decided to start Cam Johnson over him. He was mad that he wasn't even given a chance to compete for the job after all that he has done in a Suns uniform. That it was handed to Cam. And yeah, the fact that Jay Crowder is a pending free agent probably had a little bit to do with him being upset over that. But essentially, I'm going to say the first part was a matter of principle. After all I've done, how could you just give my role away? I believe the excitement over the Suns can be chalked up to what I'm going to call new flavor syndrome we see the same thing happen throughout sports. The Buffalo Bills were the favorite to win this year's Super Bowl from the start of the season. Josh Allen was the favorite to win MVP. Luka Doncic has been the favorite to win MVP the last three years in the NBA. I don't think that would be the case if he'd actually won it or hadn't faded so badly each and every year. We're just always looking for something new, something fresh, and... We want to be the first to say, hey, a team hasn't done it, but they're on their way. There's something exciting about that. It doesn't seem like you get the same kind of punch when you go, yeah, you know what? Warriors are going to win again. Warriors fans like that. Everybody else kind of looking for a way to present something that hasn't happened that's going to make them look like they're prescient. Now, I feel as if the Bucks are the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs this year. They've been so consistently excellent that there's nothing sexy about picking them to win. Giannis Antetokounmpo doesn't generate controversy. He doesn't engage on social media. He consistently talks about the long view and what he and his teammates are attempting to accomplish. Sheesh, what's interesting about that? It's effective, it works, it's the way championship players talk, it's the way championship teams think, but it's not sexy, it's not interesting, it's not entertaining. And so, it doesn't get the same splash as 
KD and all the drama surrounding him in Brooklyn, going to Phoenix, the drama that was already there with Jay Crowder and DeAndre Ayton. Now I realize my industry, the media industry, is responsible for some of the new flavor syndrome. Maybe a lot of it. We need fresh material, fresh talking points, fresh content. And if we're not careful in how we frame the conversation or what subjects we choose, we can create a perspective that is a reach. There is this too. Repeating as champions is hard. For all the value of understanding what it takes and what should be considered important to win a championship, something an organization or a player or coach can't possibly know until they win one, there is a price to pay for winning it all. Having that institutional knowledge is very valuable, priceless. But winning it all comes with a price too. Players want to get paid. Other teams pick off your coaches and players to bring that institutional knowledge of what it takes into their building. Your entire organization has worked longer and harder than any other organization. So you're carrying a physical and mental fatigue into the next season that your opponents don't have. And finally, there's the satisfaction of having won it all. Not everybody in an organization is ready to pull on the rope harder a second year in a row to achieve the same goal. And that's what I'm told that it takes. Those who have won back-to-backs say it's the hardest thing they've ever done. I can't even imagine back-to-back-to-back the three-peat. And I've been told by players who've won a ring, yeah, you get a little complacent. You think, I finally got what I've been after. They're going to be remembered as champions. So how badly do they want to be remembered as two-time champions? Bad enough to make more sacrifices than they did the year before? How much do they trust that everyone around them has the same mindset, is willing to make the same sacrifices? And that goes for the GM, the owner, the coach, as well as the guys in the locker room. Now, the Suns don't have an edge because of any of that. They aren't the Spurs having made it to the doorstep, been denied by the Heat on a last-second three-pointer by Ray Allen, and then committed collectively to getting redemption. If the Suns were going to be that, then last year was when they would have done it. And they looked like it in the regular season. But then Devin Booker and Chris Paul decided to insult Luka Doncic, apparently unaware that they were messing with someone who has been a lion since he was 16 playing amongst men, or did not seem to realize that they don't have the games uh, individually to be able to challenge Luke like that and end up coming out on top. So how do I know that Devin and Chris Paul have learned their lesson? Have they said anything? Have they indicated that we made a mistake? We won't do that again? Chances are just as good that they're going to be even more arrogant once they get on the floor with KD. And arrogance should not be confused with confidence. Now, none of this is to suggest that the Suns don't have a chance to win the West. The West is wide open. They could stay healthy. They could find pieces on the buyout market to improve their depth and defense. Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton could 
resolve their differences for the sake of winning a championship. Their stars could come together like Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen did in Boston, making the necessary sacrifices to their individual games and keeping their eye on the prize. Now, I'm not referencing Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris Bosh as an example of a three stars coming together because they were already friends and all collectively decided to join forces. That's not how it went down for KG, Pierce, and Allen. They didn't orchestrate that. And that's not how the Suns trio was put together. It wasn't premeditated on the part of Devin, Chris Paul, and KD. Now, I would guess they've had conversations that KD's desire to go to Phoenix expressed last summer already didn't come out of thin air, but they are likely to have less than 20 games, not just to get on the same page, but develop the understanding and synchronicity that the Warriors, Memphis, Denver, and even the Clippers have been working on for years. Championship teams generally take longer than a third of the season to bake no matter how talented. So we'll see if the Suns can defy history. The odds are against it. Or at least they should be. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, I am weighing two subjects, and I'm thinking I may have to put them together. And maybe this one's not that big to you guys, but I saw a clip of a conversation between Chris Russo, Christopher Russo and J.J. Redick about... Larry Bird and all-time great three-point shooters and where Larry Bird would be ranked among them. And it was the most painful argument I've heard because neither of them was making a cogent argument. And so I'd like to dive into why that subject and measuring all-time greats like Larry Bird against players today is a fool's errand and how how we should look at those comparisons i also want to get into a conversation that i had a couple podcasts ago i did a piece uh, or i did a, a an episode on uh load management and um having talked to players and having a different perspective how it shifted my perspective and i had another conversation with uh, an executive who's a former player uh, former champion about the subject again and it tweaked my view of things once more maybe back a little bit more toward my original premise or view of why we have load management and why we still have so many injuries anyway i will get to either one or the other or both of those in the next episode in the meantime as always, thanks for listening.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.